do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestsellers, all they're hyped up to be. The Terrible Book Club explores whether or not you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. If you've ever seen a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Hello and welcome to episode 135 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris. And this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Monday Starts on Saturday by Boris and Arkady Strugatsky. Our patron Anya mailed us this book and requested that we do an episode on it. And it's, you know, it's pretty great to get books mailed to us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's that a was a great perk of this, of this whole thing that we're doing here. Please send us things in the mail. Thanks so much for your generosity and for being a TBC patron, Anya. We hope this is a fun episode for you. If this is your first time listening to the show, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Sometimes, though, like today, we read books that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend uh, or that our patrons send us in the mail. Uh, so we do the opposite of what most people do when they're in a bookstore or when they encounter a mysterious book sent to them through the post. Um, <laughs> and typically, this experiment results in a disappointing read. But once in a while, we actually do end up liking the book. Um, our content warnings today. All right. In addition to our usual barnyard language, today's episode includes discussion or mention of... I don't know, like scientific philosophical buffoonery. There, there's really nothing today. Uh, yeah, there's, it's not that bad. there's like there's like a dead parrot, and there's the clone a clone paradox about you know identity and personhood. But I, there's really nothing nothing crazy in this one. Yeah, if you stress out about that kind of stuff, then I guess skip this episode. But you know, if you're if there's a clone of you running around that like gives you a lot of anxiety. Yeah, if you don't like existentialism, then maybe maybe skip today, but I don't really think it's all that existential. We're all um, dealing with that, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, I I kind of live uh, beneath a cloud of existential anxiety, so. Uh, and I found it fine to tackle today's book, so anyway, that was a long way of saying that uh, you don't really need to worry about anything other than our typical swearing today. Future Chris here letting you know that later in the episode, there's also a brief chat about possible anti-Semitic descriptions of characters. We don't know. That's the point of the discussion. But it's there. Uh, all right. This is the back of the book summary. Sasha, a young computer programmer from Leningrad, is driving through the forests of northwest Russia to meet up with some friends for a nature vacation. He picks up a couple of local hitchhikers who persuade him to come work with them at the National Institute for the Technology of Witchcraft and Thaumaturgy, or NITWIT. The adventures Sasha has in the largely dysfunctional institute involve all sorts of magical beings and devices. A wish-granting fish, a talking cat who can remember only the beginnings of stories, a sofa that translates fairy tales into reality, a motorcycle that can zoom into the imagined future, a hungry dog-sized mosquito along with a variety of wizards, including Merlin, vampires, and petty bureaucrats. First published in Russia in 1964, Monday Starts on Saturday has become the most popular Strugatsky novel in the author's homeland. Like the works of Gogol and Kafka, it tackles the nature of institutions, here focusing on one devoted to discovering and perfecting human happiness. By turns wildly imaginative, hilarious, and disturbing, Monday Starts on Saturday is a comic masterpiece by two of the world's greatest science fiction writers. Okay, so I will be reciting all of the characters in this book, and this is kind of a task for us. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have Sasha, and then, I don't know, Chris, if you want to just give a quick little blurb about each person as you <laughs> go through them. 
that's kind of hard to do. I basically pulled up a list of characters on TVTropes.com because it was kind of hard to remember all the Russian names. Even though I'm Polish, I mean, the naming conventions there are completely different. I can maybe pronounce these things semi-decently, yeah. but sometimes differentiating between characters can be tough. So, besides Sasha, who is, his full name is Alexander Ivanovich Privilov, we have Roman Petrovich Oira Oira, who is kind of like a co-worker yeah. in, in this place. Yeah, I'd say that. Um, you have various grand masters of nitwit, so these are sort of like heads of departments or, I don't know, like teens of students is sort of like maybe a rough thing, even though it's not an academy, you know. Um, yeah, they're managers. Have, they're managers. Yeah. Theodore Semenovich Kivrin. Cristobal Joseovich Junta, who's actually Spanish, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Or Portuguese, I can't remember. Gian Giacomo. And Sabaoth Balovich Odin, which I think is, I think it's actually supposed to be Odin, perhaps, maybe? Yeah, he is the actual god, um, Odin. And you have the, like, high administrator of Nitwit, Janus Polektovich Nevstrev, of which there are two divisions. <laughs> There's S. Janus and P. Janus. Is yeah. S. Janus and A. Janus. Oh, A. Janus. I'm sorry. Yeah. S. Janus, of which there are S. Janus and A. Janus, who yeah. is the same person but existing twice at the same time, and people have a hard time telling which is which. Yeah, and, and if but, there's a difference. By the way, they're not twins. That's not what's going on here. <laughs> not Not twins like. Born as twins, but like the clones of each other. No, two separate no, entities. No, they're not clones. Anyway, look, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Moving on. I was just trying to tell people that there are two instances of this person, but we're not saying they're twins because that could be confusing. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell I didn't really understand what was going on sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you got some other folks like Naina Kevna Gorinich, Vasily the Cat. Ambrosi Ambrosovich Vibgalo, Merlin, straight up Merlin, Stella the Witch, Alexander Ivanovich Sanya Drozd, Photon the Parrot, and then you've got other people like the Solovets Militia, which like pops up in like some of the first couple chapters when they're going into this town for the first time. And, you know, there's like a Baba Yaga in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Naina Gorinich is the, is the, is Baba Yaga. Um, yeah, that's most of the people that are important. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I think that that kind of covers it. Um, okay. So we obviously like to do these sort of, these summaries that we write ourselves of the main plot points so that while we're talking about you know, our analysis of the book or how we felt about it, you kind of understand at least basically what happened in the story and what the flavor of the book is. However, this time, uh, Chris decided we were going to read the Wikipedia summary. So that's what we're going to do. My reasoning is that um, the Wikipedia summary has a lot more of sort of the cultural background that helps understand some of the things that are written about in this novel, which I do not have. And I thought it would be educational for both listeners and us to have this summary here. Here is the summary. Monday Starts on Saturday is written from the point of view of Alexander Ivanovich Privlov, usually called Sasha, a young programmer from Leningrad, who picks up two hitchhikers during a road trip north through Karelia. After the two find out that he is a programmer, they convince him to stay in Solovets and work together with them in the Scientific Research Institute of Sorcery and Wizardry, abbreviated Nichavo in Russian, which sounds very close to a Russian word for nothing, the English translation being similarly abbreviated to nitwit. The book contains a large number of references to well-known Russian fairy tales and children's stories. Baba Yaga makes an appearance, as does Mei Groinich, and the learned cat from Pushkin's Ruslan and Lyudmila, who turns out to be a slightly demented bard. 
Some figures from lore and history also appear, such as genies and Cain. The authors portray these persons and concepts, such as magic, either as objects of scientific inquiry or members of the Institute. Merlin, for example, is described as an incompetent boaster and is in charge of the Institute's Department of Predictions. The technical help desk is headed by one Sabaoth Balovich Odin, also described as the most powerful wizard in the universe, while the Vivarium is staffed by Alfred, a vampire. The novel is remarkable for its colorful characters. For example, Cristobal Joséevich Junta was formerly a Grand Inquisitor and is now the head of the Department of the Meaning of Life. He is also a talented taxidermist. It is rumored that his collection includes a Standenführer of the SS, an erstwhile friend of Junta's and also a taxidermist. Cristobal Joséevich, so goes rumor, was equally skilled, only faster. Fyodor Semyonovich Kivrin, the head of the Department of Linear Happiness, is a stuttering big guy, an eternal optimist, an apprentice programmer, a fan of Earl Stanley Gardner, and a mentor of sorts to Privlov. Modest Matveyich Kamnoedov, whose surname translates to Stone Eater, is an archetypal administrator and bureaucrat who does not understand the Monday begins on Saturday work ethic. On New Year's Eve, he directs Privlov to turn off the lights and lock all doors, but Privlov soon finds out that everyone is still at the Institute and research continues. For example, the archetypically rude Viktor Korneyev, usually called Vitka, claims to have left his clone to work in his lab, which Privlov recognizes to be Korneyev himself because clones never sing or show any emotion. Much of the action centers on the laboratory of Ambrosi Ambrosovich Vibgalo, roughly one who runs out, a fictional surname based on ancient Polish-Lithuanian names like Jagiello, a professor whose gargantuan experiments are spectacularly wasteful and crowd-pleasing, but utterly unscientific. In his quest for an ideal man, he creates a model of partially satisfied man, allusion to Soviet dogma that under communism all people will be perfect and will have all their needs satisfied, and that Soviet socialism is an intermediate state on the path to full communism, which eats inordinate amounts of raw offal, achieving ever-shortening periods of lethargic full satisfaction until it begins eating without ever stopping and eventually bursts. On, a New Year on New Year's Day, Vibgalo hatches up his ultimate creation, a model of completely satisfied man who can instantly satisfy all of his wants. Immediately upon hatching, the model attempts to consume the whole universe, but, Ro but Roman Oira Oira manages to stop him by throwing at him a genie in a bottle, a clear allusion to a Molotov cocktail. Vibgalo is modeled in large part on Trofim Lysenko, the charlatan and political responsible for many setbacks in the science of genetics in USSR. Charlatan is in the Wikipedia summary there, so I have no commentary on who that guy is. <laughs> Chris, I don't think you're going to be the difference between whether or not we get nuked by Russia, FYI. Yeah. You're good. You're good. I know. Okay. Fair enough. I think you're a little okay. too high for this. <laughs> The final part of the book concerns the mystery of Janusz Polektowicz Nevstrev, the director of the Institute, who is known to be one man in two personas called A. Janus and S. Janus. Okay, so there's a lot of context we did not have while we yes. read this book. Absolutely none. Oh, okay, so um, did you let catch us... the Molotov cocktail thing? No, I did no, not. No, I didn't. I, 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 I didn't either. I was like, oh, that's a smart idea. <laughs> Throw a genie at him. Like, yeah, I get it. But I did not yeah, think. Sometimes a genie is just a genie, right? Turns out, no. Sometimes no. a genie is a Molotov cocktail. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we usually like to break up our commentary into things that were good first, and then the things that we thought were bad or maybe not so good. So let's start with things that were good. For me, I actually like how it opens. It really... The book really throws you into the story without any preamble. And the protagonist, Sasha, is right there with you also going, what the fuck? Because, like, he's just trying to go somewhere. And these guys, he picks up these hitchhikers. and They're like, you should work at our, our witchcraft institute. And he's like, uh, what? I'm just trying to go camping. Like, this is weird. Um, you know, and, you know, and things are just progressively more and more strange as he kind of goes along with these people. Um, so I, I liked that, that it kind of started off strong with just kind of wackiness that keeps you interested. 
I think it ramps up the absurdity quite well, too. Like, it starts being absurd with just two guys in a car that sound weird when they talk. And then a couple of chapters later, there is a reappearing coin in the dude's pocket that he gets weirded out by and tries to figure out how it works. And then he eventually becomes a programmer at this institute of, you know, scientific studies of magic, I guess we can call it. And everything just kind of trails off into complete absurdity from there. So there's a nice ramp there, I think. I also think that the individual characters and scenarios are can be memorable. Not all of them, but some of them can be memorable, like that aforementioned coin that reappears in his pocket. There's this whole segment where uh, Sasha finds out that a coin that he is giving to stores keeps appearing in his pocket again, and he tries to figure out the rules behind it. So he produces a bunch of experiments where he like he gives it to a sh- different kinds of shops. It doesn't matter if they're looking. Doesn't matter if he like you know, puts it down in a certain way, which honestly is the same way I would interact with a magic reappearing coin in my pocket. I try to figure out, I would figure out if there's any rule set to it. Other interesting things include the cat who only half remembers songs and poems. I thought that was just kind of cute and interesting. Um, I know that there's magical cats in other Russian literature. I've read a couple of books with that happening. Uh, One I remember was Master and Margarita, which... I can't tell you much about that book at all, except that there was a magic cat in it. So I guess <laughs> my brain really sticks on magic cats for some reason. I mean, they're fun. They're cute. You know? Yeah. And this one is too, because he's supposed to be all knowing. The all knowing cats. Can you tell we've been playing Elden Ring? I, I didn't remember him as being the all knowing cat. I... Well, he knows a lot of things, except not really because he half knows them. Right, right. I, I don't know. I actually uh, disagree with you on this point. So this is a little weird, but I can, I'll can i talk about that in the next section. Um, no, you should disagree now. Well, no, because we're talking about things that were good, and you felt this was a good thing. Sure, but I think it's better to disagree now and just like talk that point out. Okay, yeah. I, I had the opposite experience. I actually thought the characters were very flat. I didn't care about anyone or anything that happened. <laughs> uh I was just like, I can't identify with these characters. They just kind of feel like names on a page. I didn't I didn't feel particularly invested in any of them. So even though the scenarios were wacky and some of the characters were, you know, kind of equally wacky and wild, I just, I don't know, didn't do it for me. I agree that most of them were kind of hard to differentiate and pretty flat. Sasha himself and Vitka, probably the only two that stuck out to me. Maybe Modest Medvedevich because he's very stern. That's the only thing I got out of him is that he's very stern and bureaucratic. And that's that's his character. He serves that function. It was really sort of the scenarios and logic puzzles that kind of hooked my attention more than anything. And I guess the cat is a sort of in-between. He's not a puzzle, but he's barely a character too because he appears just once yeah yeah that was i mean that was definitely something that bothered me too is like i remember reading i think in the forward of the book i read the forward by a different author or something i forget i'm sorry i forget who it was and they were like oh yeah it's got all these interesting characters in it like a cat who can only half remember things and a mermaid in a tree and then i read the book and find out that both of those characters only appear for like half a fart like right at the beginning of the story <laughs> and that's it and i was like come on don't tell me don't tempt me with these cool characters in the forward and then i read the book and they are not really re- they are not relevant at all um, yeah, they're they're not ca- like I, like I said a second ago. They're not characters. They're these interesting moments, maybe that capture yeah. your imagination. But no person in here is truly that enrapturing, except perhaps Double Janus. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that 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 last. So maybe we should say this. The book is kind of set up in vignettes. So you have three separate parts to the book that serve as three separate stories. Technically, the whole SNA Jonas thing is related because he's, you know, he's in the other parts of the book too. But the final story deals with the mystery of him and like that puzzle of how the fuck are there two of him existing simultaneously when he's not a twin and it's not a clone. So. That was cool. Um, the second one, 
God, what the fuck was the second one about? It's Sasha like starting up at, uh, not starting up, but he's like been at Nitwit for a bit, and it's that whole New Year's thing. Oh yeah, and yeah. The SJ and AJ and his thing is like this right. whole separate later on thing that happens right. after the whole New Year's round uh, going around. Okay. Thing. Um. Yeah, and then the first part is just kind of a lot of setup and you know the weird couch in Baba Yaga's couch. House yeah. Whatever. Right. Right. The the translator couch in Baba Yaga's hut. Um. Right. Sorry. I was just trying to get a trying to explain to people like how this works. So it wasn't it's not like you're reading a book where there's one long through line or plot. You have these sort of mini stories in it. There's three. Um and some of them have the same recurring characters, but ultimately, you know, they're just three separate ideas sort of strung together. And even those separate three sections kind of have their own sub stories within right. them. Mm-hmm. So it's like vignettes within vignettes, which are ultimately just a bunch of absurd situations. Um, I also just felt like, I don't know that this is, this was a good thing. Um, but I just sort of, well, yeah, I don't think this is really a good or bad thing. Uh, I just felt too stupid for this book a lot of the time. Me too. I was like, am I an idiot? Am I this stupid? Yeah. But then I eventually, I thought about it and I was like, no, I think I'm just too American. And while those yes. often can be the same thing, yes. I think in this case, <laughs> they're actually separate. I think that, like we were saying earlier, we just don't have the right cultural background to really appreciate or understand a lot of this. And so it sort of comes off as like a little up its own ass because you need so much foreknowledge to even begin to appreciate it. And I say that because there's even a lot of stuff in here that isn't particularly Russian or, or Eastern European. Like for example, if you've never heard of the Malleus Maleficarum or you can't read French, like you're going to miss three jokes in this book at minimum. So I mean, that was, sorry, I'm like straying into things that were bad because it, it just sort of followed directly. So that was something that I felt was a little unfortunate about it. Um, but is it really bad? I think that's the point you were trying to make before. It's not really a good or bad thing. We just lack the context to make a decent critical analysis of how these things are put together aside from seeing all these different absurd scenarios smashed together and we get some like you know everyone gets reappearing coin that's not too crazy to grasp right. or everyone gets like i traveled into the future and it was silly we, we of course we can understand that part of it but right. a lot of the soviet era ussr culture stuff and commentary on bureaucracy might not land the same way for us as yeah. someone that comes from that. This is very similar to Boastgusters. Yes. Weirdly. So like we're, um, we're having the same conversation about how when we lack cultural context, in one case, it's like certain kinds of internet forums or story posting. And in another context, it's we're not from that country or from that time period in that country. Yeah. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, like Boastgusters and Monday Starts on Saturday are totally different wildly different wildly (laughs) different things but you're never gonna see that comparison on any other podcast ever that's the tbc guarantee (laughs) but they are both sort of these like absurd vignettes pieced together in their own unique way and they both require um a very particular type of background to understand. And they, they both kind of deal with sort of science fiction, fictiony magic stuff. So they strangely do have some things yeah. in common, uh, which is not <laughs> something we planned, you know? So, um, but I think it's good because it, it gives us, you know, gives us something else to talk about in terms of reading something where we're like, ah, wow, we are just, we just don't have the tools to really, I think, appreciate, this uh because i know this this is a very monday stars and saturday is very celebrated book and so are the authors you you may know them as the authors of a roadside picnic which is a a work with a very different flavor uh it's also a film so um anyhow not that not to say just because things are respected means they're like untouchable i certainly don't feel that way neither just chris we've we've read things on the show before that we thought were terrible that were very popular um or celebrated but yeah, uh anyway, let's let's just kind of roll back to some things that we thought were good before yeah. we go on. So, I really thought that 
Um, I really liked the style of joke. They were very understated and clever for the most part. And I really enjoyed that they poked fun at how science can become just as bureaucratic and pointless as anything else. You know, if, if in the wrong hands, in the wrong system, it can be just as stupid as, yeah, as, as any other system, like as, I don't know, your local chamber of commerce, um, (laughs) And for and this, these or are just like, your D and D group. How yeah. you know, like your small interpersonal relationships can, you know, be just as absurd as these large, massive institutions that are trying to do something for the good of humanity, but ultimately become up their own ass. As yeah. uh, to borrow a phrase that you used. Uh, yeah. Um. And so, some examples of the jokes that were sort of like understated and clever, and also were poking fun at science just being a failed bureaucratic process. Um. The Department of Absolute Knowledge, that all the employees in that department not working because they don't want to add to the universe's entropy, like, that was actually pretty good. That's, that's hysterical. That's, that's a good. fantastic joke. Um, all the silly names of the papers and projects that people were working on, just like these, you know, long academic titles that really say nothing. Um, the Wheel of Fortune energy source got me because... <laughs> It felt it's literally like, called the Wheel of Fortune, so I was having trouble deciding. Do they mean that wheel of? It's oh, not that wheel oh, of fortune. I decided it was that wheel, and I <laughs> felt like it was proof that Vanna White is indeed immortal, as I have always Wait, suspected. Hold on, though. When did Wheel of Fortune start airing? When? When? Because this was published in the '60s. Oh yeah. Right? Okay, you're right. You're right. Hold on, Wheel of Fortune. But. I still feel like Vanna White's immortal, regardless of where we land on this. I mean, yeah, she's probably a member of Nitwit. Okay, January yes. 6, 1975. This Wheel of Fortune predates Ooh, the game. Predates. And then, yeah, you're right. I didn't really think about the um the the, yeah, the gap there, uh, the 10 years. What age. you actually don't know, Paris, is that the Wheel of Fortune game show was alluding to Monday Starts <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> oh... Pat a really Sajak. deep cut. Pat Sajak is actually uh, uh, Vibigalo. That would yeah, be the best, that would be the best fit. Just, just doing more pointless shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's doing an experiment on, like, you know, satiating yourself. What, what's the thing that everyone chases in America? It's money. So can you be satisfied with certain amounts of dollar exchanges for letters? Um, I think recently his experiments have ramped up because the contestants have gotten dumber or the puzzles have gotten harder. I'm not really sure, but there's been some recent Wheel of Fortune uh, episodes. Of, whew, wow. Not that I like sit here and watch Wheel of Fortune, but when whenever I'm at Chris's house, we all watch it together like a bunch of old people. It's on at between seven and seven, you know, seven and eight. It's Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. It's a nice combo to have on while you're eating dinner or like yep. winding down from the day. So do you think, all right, yeah, I think I think Pat Sajak and Vanna White are from Nitwit, personally. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're plants. And, oh, and Trebek? Absolutely. He, <laughs> oh, absolutely. He's there right now. He didn't die. Yeah. He's, he's running he just Nitwit. Went back. He went back. He's, oh my God, he's S. Janus, A. Janus. Oh, that, that makes oh, total sense to me. Oh my God, that's such a good, yes. I have cast, I have cast this show. <laughs> um... Okay, anyway, sorry, we got off on a little tangent there. Uh, lastly, another thing that was good was the, uh, I thought the dialogue and the writing were both really good. Um, just a quick little example of some descriptive writing that I liked. I saw the edge of the horizon creeping toward me horrifyingly, like the rim of a gigantic chalice in the dead light of the moon, folding over and in on itself. So good because it was describing it was describing like the the like explosion on the battlefield of you know with our battlefield the big field they use for experiments uh, when Vibigalo was doing the whatever the weird homunculus shit and it was trying to like consume the world. Um, anyhow, so uh, that being said, it was like it was a pretty well written you know no typos or anything. It was cleverly crafted, I think, in terms of like wordsmithing and jokes. And as a, you know, I guess a tag onto that is the translator must have done a great job. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine translating this like that. Even just switching that Russian institution name into nitwit. Like that. That's a really good move. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The translator did a lot of work here, I'm sure. And, And that's another thing that I find tough for us reviewing books that are translated from another language, because even when you have an excellent translator like this book clearly must have, you're still losing 
things in the way that a language jokes like there was something i was thinking about um throughout this that i was like fuck this is something we're not picking up on and i know we're not picking up on it but i'm still not like i still don't know enough to know exactly what and that is how russians use um nicknames middle names full names first like how someone refers to you with certain parts of your name adds a certain sense of like a meaning to what they're saying and i remember learning this because when the chernobyl show came out on hbo i was obsessed with it and i listened to the companion podcast after every episode because i was just so i i thought it was just a fantastic show i still highly recommend it if you haven't watched it um and the companion podcast was great because it it went into not only like okay, what did we do differently on the show versus history? But it also went into the actual production of the show and how they did things and how they had this crew of older Russian women who were like their consultants. And <laughs> it was incredible. So one consultant of the... Babushkas yes, really consultant Babushkas is a really excellent... I want to I want to meet the consultant Babushka brigade. Yes, and they made, ama- they made excellent contributions to the show that made it better. And one of... The, so the two contributions that I can remember is this, that they were like... They were looking at the scripts and they were like, no, no, no. They would not call... No, no, no. In this conversation, they would not say... Um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I forget the names, but they would not say Arkady Zarnayev. They would say Arkady Mikhail Zarnayev, you know, because of the way, whatever the context was, or they would, they would call him, you know, Comrade Zarnayev or whatever. There's like all these variations of using different parts of names or full names or first name and middle name, whatever, that give a different affect. I mean, I guess when I think about it, it's sort of like how Japanese has different um honorifics yeah this is similar uh not quite the same but it's kind of a similar thing and then secondly we do, some, we do similar stuff in english not to interrupt you but like you know think about like adding in in a y to the end of someone's name to be like cutesy or something like that that's like not maybe not exactly the same thing but like there's name manipulations that we do in english too depending on how familiar you are with someone uh, I don't know that I'm going to support you on that quest. All right, I, fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I think we only do it when we're like in a romantic relationship or have like an inside joke with a friend or something. This is different. But, this is but, a different thing. That's the same. It's a social difference that yeah. you can manipulate someone's name with to impart a certain feeling affect to yeah, how you're addressing them. But it's not like culturally standardized. That's the huge difference. So anyway, fair, back to the fair. back to Babushka consultants. <laughs> the yeah. second thing they commented on that is sorry, this is minor, but I just found it fascinating was that um, they're reading again, you know, they're reading scripts and, and the first episode opens with a shot of a man feeding his cat in his apartment. And the script originally was like, man pours cat food into bowl. And they were like, cat food? We need a fucking cat food. You fed your cat your leftovers. And so, and they were like, oh, they were like, yeah, Soviet Russia, you couldn't just fucking go pick up cat food. That didn't exist. (laughs) And the writers were like, oh, fuck, okay. And so, you know, the final cut, what they actually ended up doing was you see a man uh, uh, using a fork to like shred his chicken leftovers and putting it on a little plate for his cat. Uh, because that would have been more historically accurate and culturally appropriate. So anyway, I love it. Love Babushka Consulting. I hope yeah. those ladies are still rocking it somewhere. <laughs> I, hope, I hope they <laughs> can... Raking in the hard, cold cash. <laughs> oh, no. They're raking in the falling ruble presently. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm, actually, this is a timely episode for that. Is this a detour point for us here? Or do no, we just this, say, I'm, that's not what we're talking about? Yeah, and move on. yeah we yeah, we, uh, we did not plan uh for this episode <laughs> to occur during i think a lot of people didn't plan know. for a lot of stuff that <laughs> happens yeah that's fair but anyway we we um schedule things out usually at the end of the previous year beginning of the new year and of course you know sometimes we, we do shuffle things around but this was on the schedule for this time and there was really no reason to shuffle i mean 
we have so many people who have been waiting for episodes for months now, yeah. um, like patrons. So it was like, nah, well, we'll just do it. Um, suffice it to say, we will maybe just be making a crack here or there. We will not be talking in any depth about the current war. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to talk about something we don't have the cultural context for. Ah, there you go. <laughs> It's, it's a lot of that, even though there seems to be a clear aggressor in this case. Yeah. But, you know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, anyhow, uh, we were talking about. Translation. Translation. And right. So, and how important it is. Blech. I would honestly, this is, that's a perfect sort of case there for that. And even how this book is translated for how consultants like that can really help i don't know exactly who, who was the translator for this edition actually uh he's listed on the oh i was gonna say he's listed on the book and then i realized the book is in my apartment in somerville and i am in minneapolis and you are in dorchester so that is not yeah, helpful. hold on this was translated by one andrew bromfield who um, I can't, you know, I was just going to kind of look at the name and see if it had any sort of Russian sounding uh, aspects to it to try to figure out if this person has, you know, any cultural Russian cultural background. But maybe it does. I mean, this, this seems to be well translated. So. Well, I mean, just because his last name is Bromfield doesn't mean he. <laughs> right. Isn't yeah. Russian. So I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> I thought I could score an easy win here, but it's going to take. <laughs> more research to figure to get the bottom of this so i'm not willing to do this on the middle of a recording of an episode i think i remember in the book uh there being a little quick snippet that he's like a, a russian or i don't know that he's from russia i think he's american but he has been studying russian culture and language forever um so all right well i mean again that suffices to say that People that have this cultural information are super valuable when making translations like this or making TV shows in the case of Chernobyl, Chernobyl, in which, you know, you want to feature that part of the world that you're not from. You probably want to get some people from that part of the world in on it to make sure things are portrayed as accurately and sensitively as possible. Right. Uh... Uh, I'm sorry, my mistake. He is actually British. Uh, he is a British editor and Russian translator. He is mm. a founding editor of the Russian literature journal Gloss and has translated a ton of Russian stuff into English. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's uh, he's a real deal. Also, I realized, I forgot to say this, I realized that I think two of my favorite uh, like sci-fi fantasy-ish movies are um it's night watch and day watch and he also translated the book version of those and i did not know that those movies were books and now i'm stoked and i have to go and find oh, them because i remember looking this guy up and going oh my god night watch and day watch are books if you have not seen night watch and day watch they are fabulous uh fun movies you should definitely see them and now uh i really want to read the books i've never even heard of those oh they're great um yeah anyway um all right well Moving on. Back to yeah, back to the episode. <laughs> All right, some things we thought that were bad. I know we already talked about this. Sorry, we're getting a little jumbly today. Chris is too high, and I I I have no excuse. Honestly, I think I'm just trying to get through. I this. like when it's looser. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we talked a little bit already about how I thought the characters were a little flat. I didn't really care about anyone super hard. Meh. Um. I also just felt like, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff in here that if you've never heard of these things, this book is going to fall flat for you. Um, I, you know, and, and I guess because I know one of the examples I gave was like, if you can't read French, this isn't going to be very funny. And then I just launched into this angry rant by myself about why the fuck is it funny to ha ha and a baguette in nonsensical <laughs> satire? Why is this a thrill line? Because this is also something that happened in Boast Gusters. <laughs> and I was just like, fuck, like, why is this a thing? They, I mean, they really like their bread up there in France, Paris. It's really funny. They, like, have bread all the time. It's hilarious. Don't you see the humor? No. I just don't They have get... long bread. They have really long bread. It's really long <laughs> and silly. I just don't get why... I, I feel like we're missing something. Like, maybe there was a period of time in the world where people thought 
French accents were exceptionally hilarious and we just missed it. And we have no idea because I don't get it. Um, I don't get it. Why is making fun of the French such a through line in these like nonsensical satirical works? I don't get it. Just accent humor. Accent humor has been around forever, man. Uh, yeah, but it's always French. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's never, it's <laughs> that's never that's like. A feature. I mean, yeah, it's, they don't, it's never it's like, because... oh, the Polish, the Italians. No one's doing that. They're always like, oh, oh, oh People the do French. the Italian Why? accent all the time. What are you talking about? Italian accent is like top tier. No, I'm talking about nonsensical, like satirical literature. I feel like this is just. Oh. A through line in that, and I don't get why. Um, anyhow, okay. If you're yeah, if you're boiling it down to that specific scenario, sure, I guess it's more French than anything. But <laughs> I just see that as you know the same thing as any sort of accent or stereotyping humor, which thankfully is on the decline. Yeah, yeah, really. Oh, actually, while we're here, can I talk about something? <laughs> while we're that in was... the racism area, while we're in, uh, while we're on racism island, I would like to talk about. The constant uh, description of Roman as hook-nosed. Oh, yeah. For, like, three pages. But then I read about the authors and they're Jewish. And I was like, why was that the choice you made? Okay, and I bring this up because often... The f- Sorry, I guess we should have put a content warning about this. I, I honestly forgot about it until just now, but... I just feel like it's it's a common um, negative description of people with Jewish heritage is that they have a hooked nose and it is often used in a def- in a not defamatory but in a derogatory way. So it was really surprising to me because the f- like the phrase was used so much in like a three to four page period at the very beginning of the book and then never again for the rest of the book. And I get that at the beginning. They're using descriptions for Roman because uh, Sasha doesn't know his name yet. And the book is written from Sasha's viewpoint. So he's like, oh, the guy that looked like this. But it was just a weird choice. And I wondered if maybe somehow in Russia that like wasn't that wasn't a common negative derogatory way to describe like Jewish, you know, a Jewish person. Maybe this was like specific to the rest of the world i don't yeah, know once again we don't have the cultural context yeah. to actually pass any sort of judgment on that yeah well and when i read that the authors were jewish i was like okay well clearly this was not meant i assume well, i mean one would assume this was yes, not I mean, meant sure in a negative way um but yeah it was just a little odd and I, I didn't really understand why it was they were so heavy on that in the first couple pages where the character was introduced and then never again it, it, i don't know it just seemed weird like why couldn't you just use a different feature or maybe only say it once to descri- or find a different way to describe it? I don't know. And again, I mean, this is like a translated work from a different culture. So I don't know why Bromfield yeah. chose that that phrase to translate. Like, do, is the original Russian actually hook nose? Is it is it crooked nose? Is right. it something There's like else? There's three like, or I don't four know. layers of yeah. like <laughs> our cultural experience plus the translators plus theirs that... Could this could land somewhere on racism island? It could be also nowhere near at all, right? It's just like they wrote, well, we need a defining feature. Okay, he's got a hook nose. The end, and like they never right, had right. that thing yeah. happen. So like, I think again, I'm, I think we're just sensitive to it because we read so many terrible books that do have horrible racist stereotypes. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like on the on the alert. I'm like, ah, where are they? So well, they're on racism islands, which yeah. Where we are right now. Uh, let's, okay, we better go. Let's get in the we boat. Go. Let's get in the boat and leave <laughs> okay. Racism Island. Bye. We'll come back See next time. Later. We have to talk about racism in a book. Bye. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, I let's talk about humor. So there were a few things I I sort of did the the <laughs> that that's all this book got out of me it was like a little a little huff, a little snort. But Paris, does, does like when you, I don't think reading things really translates into 
you know, loud guffaws that often, especially like when you're reading a book. I suppose that meme that cracked you up a couple of minutes ago, which <laughs> undoubtedly I'll have to tack on at the end oh, of the episode no. for context now. Oh, God, no. Like you read that and you laughed out loud, but like when you're reading a book, you're in kind of a different mindset, I think, because it's like imagine the whole scenario that's <laughs> happening and there's like a little bit more involved in it. Not just some meme iced tea posted <laughs> with like little to no need for any explanation. So my point being is that I I know books that I find genuinely funny or hilarious, but I wouldn't I wasn't sitting there going like <laughs> like as I was reading it. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope you were going. <laughs> That's how I laugh in real um, life. Is Krusty the Clown esque. <laughs> And Chris, you actually asked me, like, can you name any books that are actually funny to you? And then I realized that I don't read books that are funny. I just don't. I don't read, like, I don't seek out humorous books. I don't I mean, know that why that is. Kind but of the I thing about don't. humorous books is, like, the often the summary puts me off because it's, like, really trying to be like, hey, it's funny. Hey, it gets, <laughs> we got gags in here. We got yeah. jokes and gags. Come on in. Like, it's, it's a lot of that, like, elbowing you a lot. Yeah. So she feels like a hard nudge to laugh all the time. You're like, I don't know, man. But let me tell you, you should really read Terry Pratchett's fantasy yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, the, the snippets I've read of his work have always been great. Um, I They're was trying legitimately to legitimately hilarious. I think that George R. R. Martin has actually gotten some chuckles out of me here and there. And I think Neil Gaiman did in American Gods. But it's been so long since I've read American Gods. I read that in high school. Like, I will say... The TV series, fucking exquisite Peter Stormare is in it. It is absolutely worth <laughs> That's your all time. You need. No, uh, Peter Stormare and, um, oh, what's his name? It doesn't matter because no. Peter Stormare is in it and that's all you need. For no, 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 you need, you need the combination of Peter Stormare and, um, doing the little grabby hands at the sky because I can't remember his name. <laughs> yeah, um, people can't see you, Paris. I'm telling him. Paris is right him. now just like opening and closing her hand like a lobster in the air as if she's going to snatch it out of the ether. I will. I will. Oh God, he's been. The a... guy that plays Odin. I know who you're talking about, yes. but I also don't remember his name. Oh my God. He was also in, uh, Deadwood uh he oh, why can't I remember his name this is gonna kill me well thankfully I'm... due to the power of Google it's Ian McShane Ian McShane thank you yeah all you need for a good show is Ian McShane and Peter Stormare and uh the American Gods TV adaptation has both it also has Gillian Anderson for a hot second not only that yeah the, words. just it is I honestly it's definitely a hot second I Oh, are you just into Jillian Anderson? Is that is that what I'm gathering? Yeah, because yeah, Jillian Anderson is attractive. That's yeah. That's okay, the whole joke. okay, okay. Sorry, Congratulations. I <laughs> <laughs> you figured it out. Um. Anyway, I really think that you should watch the show because I think it's better than the book. Sorry, Neil. Um, I think the show is excellent. So anyway, watch American Gods, the TV series. You will not regret it. <laughs> yeah, made in the middle of this discussion about. <laughs> How do books humor good or not? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think, yeah, something's got a little a little snort out of me, but it wasn't like a laugh out loud riot. That's... But I mean, that's not how I judge humor in books, I guess. Like that sort of mental expel- expulsion of air, like you said, <laughs> like in your inner mind nose going... <laughs> Is you know that's how I judge whether a book is funny or not, or whether some of the scenarios and situations tickle me a little bit, um, like happens in here. Like I think you know, again, <laughs> Sasha experimenting with the coin is kind of funny in a sort of you know in a way. It's not like hilarious funny. It's just well, I thought the funny part about that was him getting arrested because yes. the police noticed that he had a magic coin and then he had to fill out a form about it and pay a fine and they took the coin from him and yeah. i was like okay <laughs> like that's, that's actually funny, funny. Part. yeah i still i don't know i think that i was just i don't know i guess i was just expecting it to be kind of a laugh out loud funny and i didn't really get that from it so maybe it was just me it's me. This is this whole review is it was me and not you. Like this is the whole <laughs> review. I'm sorry. Listen, it's um, I'm sorry to do this by a text. Yeah. I, 
sorry to do this via podcast. I'm sorry I'm breaking up with you via podcast. It's really the rudest way to do it. <laughs> oh my god. I'm oh, I'm sure someone has done that. That's horrible. Um Another news. I just saw a notification on my phone. Somehow HBO heard me talking about American Gods, which is a stars show, and they sent me a little notification that says Get ready for fire and blood. House of the Dragon premieres August 21st. <laughs> Fucking heard you talking about other fantasy and like, hey, don't forget. Don't forget. You got some Targaryens to deal with again. I know, HBO. I know. <laughs> I can love you and stars simultaneously. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. This review has gone off the rails. Um, well, let's yeah, go. let's continue. Let's get back on track with other I- All right. I actually felt that nothing fucking happened in this book for like 150 pages. Well, when you say nothing, Paris, when you use that phrase, nothing happened, shit happens. Like the dude goes on a motorcycle into the future. There's a disappearing, reappearing coin. There's a cat that knows a bunch of songs and there's a sofa that translates. Okay, Chris. Chris. But there's not a through line plot to, to like. Can you tell me what happens between the sofa and the future bike? Okay, so after <laughs> the, the sofa thing the happens, Sasha, it's New Year's Eve and everyone's supposed oh, to yeah. be going on vacation or like taking the time off. But he finds like, even though the person that puts him up to it is like, make sure everyone's not doing shit. He goes into all the different departments and everyone's doing shit all the time. And they're all having various kinds of antics. Uh, Vitka's got his clone running around. Merlin pops up. So, like, again, things are happening, but nothing that feels relevant to, like, I have to pay attention to this as the main plot line. Yeah, it's not even that there wasn't a main plot. I just, I was bored for most of this book. I was bored and I was like, okay, there's a couch and there's a mermaid in a tree that has no relevance or significance and will never appear again. Um... Baba Yaga's here again, just haunting us, haunting me throughout all of my recent experiences. Baba Yaga Um, was also in Boastgusters, bizarrely, bizarre, another bizarre connection. And Baba Yaga was also in The Witcher, which I watched like over, I don't know, holiday break. So, yeah, I mean, you must have some old Polish Babsha just completely cursed you. Uh, You you pissed them off somehow. You were like walking by their house too slow or something. As long as I can still have pierogies, I'm I'm happy. Um, Yeah, you're fine. You're cool. I'll get you. Yeah. Uh, Actually, speaking of Baba Yaga, there are no women in this book except for Baba Yaga and Stella, who is Stella is described as like very, very stereotypically like scared, weepy and wide eyed. And I could not tell if that was the joke or not. I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be a joke, but it's just a joke about women being emotional. No, I thought the joke was that the stereotype is stupid, and that's why it's being represented in this absurd book. Yeah, who's to say there, right? Like, which side of the line have they fallen on? Yeah, and I don't know, it just was kind of, I don't know, just a bunch bunch of dudes, just a bunch of presumably white dudes doing stuff. I just, I don't know, man. It was written in the 60s. Yeah, it. I honestly, yeah, I was just really bored by this book. I and I was so excited because I thought I was gonna love it, and I just didn't love it. Um, yeah, I. I guess because what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that because everything was you know so evanescently passing in and out of your you know consciousness of what you should be paying attention to the latest absurd magic science thing. You had no reason to grab onto anything as something that you should care about or become invested in. Because there was rarely background to it. It was just like, here's a funny sofa. Here's a funny cat. Here's an old magic lady. Yeah. And, and then... Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and layer that on top of um, the cultural, you know, the lack of cultural knowledge or confusion with certain things. Um, and then, if you know anything about me, you know I generally hate, like kitchen sink approaches to things especially fantasy and sci-fi where it's like we're all here it's the talking (laughs) cat and baba yaga and the couch and the tree mermaid and odin and a vampire and (laughs) demons from the ninth circle of hell and i mean i just generally like that's not my jam so it was just a confluence of a lot of things that yeah, like very clearly i can see all the things that contributed to the fact that i did not really enjoy this book very much 
<sighs> so I guess I guess we can move into the can you fix it section. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, Paris, I think I'm giving this book more credit than you, even though I feel like in terms of my page-to-page enjoyment, I was right around the same area, except maybe I liked some of the absurd little puzzles in there a little bit more than you. Maybe they like annoyed you more because you didn't really fully grasp some of the context or some of it was just kind of confusingly written. Like, I didn't figure out the whole parrot thing. I can't explain it to you the whole parrot thing. They explained the parrot thing. You don't need to figure it out. I read the explanation. I still didn't get it. Okay. Well. <laughs> There's like a parrot that's traveling backwards in time, and that intersects with the parrot that's forwards in Chris, time Chris, at midnight. Chris, Chris, the parrot is how they realize that S. Janus and A. Janus are the same person traveling different directions in time. Because the parrot, um, you know, they realize that as they are progressing forward, the parrot is going backward because the parrot starts off dead. Then they real well, they realize that they saw a feather, the parrot's dead, and then it's alive, and then it's somewhere at or then its body is somewhere. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. The parrot gets burned, then the parrot dies, then the parrots they see the parrot die, then the parrot is alive, like over a progression of days and I forget exactly how, but they're like, oh, because it's it was Janice's pet, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I understand that that's the mechanism by which they discovered the whole S-Janus, S-Janus, A-Janus thing. I still don't understand what how the parrot time loop worked, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Um, Sorry. I, I don't remember either. Uh, it was... Sorry. I read this book like two months ago. Chris read it like three months ago, so we're kind of rusty on some of these points, but... That was probably the only puzzle of the whole book that I felt invested in because it, I mean, because for that third story, that's all they work on at, well, I guess after the future bike thing happens, yes. but they kind of focus on it pretty exclusively for, I don't know, 40 pages. So it's like actually something I could grasp. Um, I forget how he ends up going both forward and backward in time there. They do explain it. And it didn't they make do. sense to me at the time, but I don't have the book in front of me. Hang on, let me let me Google this because I, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Please, please someone is there a is there a Dark Souls lore video, but for how this fucking parrot works? Because I could use that. Where's I the Vati video on? I mean, the, like the, uh-huh. the, the time traveling parrot. Uh, I did appreciate. Um, like I at first I thought the whole joke was that. Oh, there's two of him, and his name is Jonas because Jonas is like the you know the two-headed Roman yeah. god. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I thought, like that's where it ended, and then <laughs> and then they were like, no, what's this? So, in terms of getting back to, can we fix it? I don't think I would try to fix this because it's not for me. And me, it's like me trying to repair something that I don't even really understand or perhaps care about that much. Like a car, because I don't use cars ever. So if you tried to get me to fix one, I would probably have like the worst ideas about it because I, I only know gas go break stop transmission is something. It like you change it to go different. <laughs> Chris is like, let's put a cat on the windshield. They're like, what? Why would that improve anything? It's got a cat now. Like exactly. That's so. I I feel like I can't really say how I would fix this. It, and because it's, it, it, technical writing is fine. A lot of the scenarios are inventive. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe differentiate your characters a little bit more, but maybe that's not what you're investing time into in a satire piece about Russian bureaucracy. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that um, I I don't know that I would recommend this book to anyone unless I knew that they were from that part of the world like if i knew they were you know russian or belarusian or ukrainian or whatever or at least has read a lot of russian literature already. right right or is familiar with um with a lot of like russian culture i would recommend it to them certainly because they would find it funny i'm sure uh but for any kind of random person i don't know that i would because i would feel like i would be putting them in the same position i was i mean unless i'm just particularly stupid which i'm willing to accept um 
you know, maybe, maybe I should have all this context about Russia. And I just don't for some reason. Uh, in any case, this, I, however, however, kind of back to what I was saying about American gods, I actually think that this book would be much better in a visual medium, whether that's like a TV show or a movie, although like it might need more of a plot if, if we were going to go that route. Um, I think there's some good like physical and slapstick silly comedy written in here, but it, it just didn't really work well in writing for me. And in my head, I kept comparing this to uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, where I loved the world that was crafted in the book, but I actually thought the book was really boring. But the TV miniseries was fucking excellent. So, like, I know that, you know, I know that obviously these two stories are very different. Like, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is, is, like, really serious. I mean, there's some funny parts, but it's mostly pretty serious. And this is obviously satire, but... I still think that it holds true. Um, I know that when I was looking, uh, I was trying to see if somebody had done this, and I guess there has been some film or TV adaptations, but they kind of totally changed it and just used the characters because they were like, well, there's no plot. No one's going to like this. And so they just kind of made it a totally different thing, which kind of, which sucks. Like, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. You know? that's, that's not great. I could see, you know, anyway. Anyway, back to my point. Um... I think that if this were made into like a little mini series, like three or four episodes or something, it would be kind of fun and interesting. And I think it could be good. Um, it also makes me think about ninth house and how that book really set up the world of magical realism really well. Um, but you know, despite the fact that I didn't like other things about it, I feel like this book definitely set up all of its weird satirical magic shit pretty well. You know, it has all these like silly departments and how they work and how some of the staff, you know, approach their jobs and all that stuff. I thought it was really well thought out. And so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I feel like this could be a really fun TV series or movie or something. Uh, but I, I don't know. I have trouble with it in book form. <laughs> I agree. No. <sighs> Right, so overall, I'm lukewarm. Yeah, I'm also a little lukewarm on it too, and I feel bad because I know that uh, I know that our our patron who sent us this book was really stoked on it, and I'm kind of bummed because I don't I don't want to you know bum them out. But I'm not going to say I disliked it. No, I'm going to say I didn't understand it totally, and that could be that's mostly me, as you said before. This is a it's not you. It's yeah. me, but from both of us on this. It's not you, Monday starts on Saturday. It's us. It's Terrible Book <laughs> yeah. Club. We are too American uh, to understand your book well enough to appreciate it. And that's unfortunate, but, you know, yeah. it's going to happen. Like, there's, of course, of course. I mean, it's going to happen. It happens all the time. Like, you can't, not every piece of media is for every person. know everything about all everything all the time. We only have so many hours in our days. Can't be Sir Gideon Offnir. The all-knowing. I'm really obsessed with how that guy says that line in the intro. He is so annoying. I can't wait until he fucking dies. <laughs> Sorry, we are Elden ringing over here. Ringing out. <laughs> ringing out. Okay. Well, I'm sorry if that was a little uh, all over the place today. Uh, we're, we're getting back in the recording saddle after like several months of not recording. So I think we're a bit rusty. Anyway... Anya, thank you so much for sending us Monday thank Starts on Saturday. Much. I'm re- still really glad that I read it because I've never read anything like yes. it. It was totally unique. Exactly. Um, and it definitely made me realize how little I know about Russian culture uh, and hit the history of Russia and what people who have lived through like the USSR and socialism and communism, you know, how they approach things. I clearly was clearly don't know shit. So Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for highlighting that. Realize that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think it was I think it was worth a read. I'm glad we read it, even if it wasn't our favorite. As always, thanks to our patrons, especially ones that send us books to read. Thanks, Dari, Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Lynn, Senia, Jakub, Lycoris, Elliot, Kieran, Martin. J, Scott G, Luchek, CTAP1, Miri, Yanka, David, Anonymous, Patricia, Austin, Donnie, Crimson Paladin, 
Beast with the Least, Archangel Everlasting, Scott H., Robin, and of course Anya for sending us this book to read. And our sort of newest patron, Brian, who sent us money on Kofi previously and is now joining the ranks of the long-term patrons. Thanks very much, everybody. All right, that's it for this time. See you later, Paris. Bye, Chris. Thank you for listening to another episode of Terrible Book Club. Terrible Book Club is an independent podcast produced by your hosts, Paris and Chris. Sound design and audio editing by Chris, with sound effects and music by Epidemic Sound and sometimes also Chris. Our theme song is Kiss by Yearn, which is, you guessed it, actually, also Chris. You can find more of his soothing synthy sounds on Bandcamp at yearn.bandcamp.com. Do you want us to review a book of your choice on the show? Do you want access to some extra audiovisual weirdness? If so, become a patron at patreon.com slash terriblebookclub. If you'd like to send us a one-time tip instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash terriblebookclub. You can also support TBC for free by sharing the show on social media, following our accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads, telling your friends about your favorite episode, or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else on the internet. To send us book recommendations or your adorable pet photos, send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com. <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry. I did not mean you're going to have to cut this. I'm so sorry. Why are you laughing? Because I was like, well, this is probably going to take Chris a second. I'm just going to open my phone and look at it. And I pulled up the Terrible Book Club Instagram account because I had made a post, a story post. And I was like, oh, we got some interactions. This is relevant. I can check this now. But the... First thing I see is a post by Ice T. Yes, the TBC Instagram account follows Ice T, and it is a meme that says, "My back after carrying my huge cock all day," and somehow, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like an image of someone with a sore back, and I don't know why this is just killing me. <laughs> you know? Holy shit, Ice T. Yeah, I just, it was one of those like, wow, didn't expect that. That's hilarious. Uh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Compose.